This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, the podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, May 3rd, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week is by Addictive Behaviors and is titled Adolescents and Young Adults' Perception of Risks and Benefits Differ by Type of Cannabis Products. The study examined the way cannabis use patterns among adolescents and young adults have changed in the last several years. The researchers compared a variety of perceived risks and benefits corresponding to short-term and long-term use of combustible, blunt, vaporized, and edible cannabis. Combustible cannabis and blunts were perceived to have greater risks and benefits than vaporized or edible cannabis. Frequent cannabis users perceived fewer risks and greater benefits than people who used rarely. Next, a study by eClinical Medicine titled Electronic Cigarette Use Among Adults in 14 Countries used global adult tobacco survey data from 2015 to 2018 to study the prevalence of e-cigarette use in 14 countries. The study found that approximately 18.3 million adults used e-cigarettes across those countries. Higher use was observed particularly among men, young adults, urban residents, adults with higher education levels, and higher wealth index. A new study by JAMA Network Open, titled Assessment of Community-Level Vulnerability and Access to Medications for Opioid Use Disorder, examined the association of community vulnerability to disasters and pandemics with geographic access to each of the three medications for opioid use disorder. The researchers also examined whether this association differed by urban, suburban, or rural classification. The study found that the median drive time to the nearest treatment location was greatest for methadone at an average of 35 minutes and shortest for buprenorphine at an average of 16 minutes. The zip codes with greatest social vulnerability did not have greater geographic access to each of the three medications for opioid use disorder, demonstrating inequitable access. Our next study by Scientific Reports is entitled Naloxone's Dose-Dependent Displacement of Carfentanil and Duration of Receptor Occupancy in the Rat Brain. The study examined whether there is a need for higher or repeated doses of naloxone to revert overdoses from highly potent fentanyls. The study used positron emission tomography to access naloxone's dose dependence on both its rate of displacement of carfentanil binding and its duration of mu opioid receptor occupancy. The study found that clinically relevant doses of IV naloxone can promptly displace fentanyls at brain mu opioid receptors. However, the study also found that repeated or higher naloxone doses may be required to prevent re-narcotization following overdoses from long-acting fentanyls. Next, we have a commentary by the International Journal of Drug Policy, titled Alcohol Everywhere, Anytime, Coming to a World Near You. The authors advocate for government intervention regarding autonomous vehicle delivery of alcohol, as the authors believe that the profit potential of these forms of alcohol delivery will be a compelling force for rapid and comprehensive uptake. The authors advocate for both community discussion and regulatory approaches, 
such as the reconsideration of the definition of an alcohol retail outlet and assurance that appropriate mechanisms are in place to prevent increasing access to alcohol for underage drinkers and a restriction in the ability of autonomous delivery vehicles to promote alcohol through signage or digital messaging. A new analysis by BMC Public Health entitled Patients Admitted to Treatment for Substance Use Disorder in Norway is a case control study that examined the complex mechanisms underlying the development and progression of substance use disorders. Among the substance use disorder patients included in the study, the patients with illicit substance use disorders were found to be younger, with low education level, low income, and low amounts of paid work. Patients with opioid-related substance use disorders were more often older, out of work, receiving social security benefits, and living alone. Patients with cocaine and alcohol use disorder more often had higher education levels, better financial situations, and were included in the workforce. Our final article, titled Training in Adolescent Substance and Opioid Misuse in Pediatric Residency Programs, is by Pediatrics. The study used a survey of U.S. pediatric residency programs to assess training in youth substance use, comparing findings with regional overdose mortality. The study found that programs in countries with a high opioid overdose burden had more training on opioid use disorder, but overall, rates were low for training that included treatment options. Few programs offered education about how to prescribe naloxone for opioid overdose, despite high regional overdose mortality and widespread availability of such training. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ACM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.